will go through the muck sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll he'll uh, he'll let us get close to the fire, but he won't let us burn. Yeah. Um, just to give us an understanding of how we need to lean on him. This is Camus. And this is Kylie. Welcome to God is Real, God is Good, a podcast where we collect stories about God working in people's lives through big, miraculous ways, all the way down to small, everyday things. Hello, this is Camus this week, and welcome to God is Real, God is Good. This week we have Charlie here with us. We know Charlie because he used to be our FedEx guy, and then somehow we met him in real life because it's a small community, and... Yeah, I don't know how to basically describe that, but Charlie's really nice and agreed to do our podcast the first time we asked him, which is like super rare and super willing and super nice. And he's going to be helping out with our youth group that we're helping out with. So we're super excited to have him. Um, So Charlie, why don't you tell everybody where you're from? So originally I'm from Missoula, Montana. Okay. But I've lived all over. Yeah. I never really originally grew up anywhere. (laughs) Just everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Something about, like, just living out west, everybody seems to move around a lot and be like, oh, where are you from? And you're like, well, here, there, and kind of everywhere. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah throughout my childhood, my mom, she never lived in a place for more than a year. And as I, uh, as I got older, around the age of 19, I got a job doing door-to-door sales. So then I was moving around almost every year. Yeah. That happens. And it was pretty insane. Yeah. There was a lot of uh, instability. Eh, that's but not always good. There was a lot of experience involved, which was a good thing. Yeah. So, Charlie, how would you tell everybody about your religious background growing up? So, it all started when I was 17. Throughout the years, uh, before that, I mean, I just, it, it was a really good reflection as to how I was not a Christian. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, when I turned 17, uh, Thanksgiving night, my uncle and I were talking about heaven and hell. And you know, reflecting on that, I was thinking about, you know, all the horrible situations I've been put through and understanding how those could, could be amplified, you know, through punishment was a real eye opener for me because, you know, that's just something I did not want to suffer through even more. And so it, it got me on the path of thinking about, you know, what should I do? Like, you know, what, what does it take to be an actual Christian? Because my thought process was, I don't want to go there. And mm-hmm. so that was, I guess, the icebreaker for me opening up to God. So later that night, I went and uh, my uh, uncle showed me how to pray. So I, I said the prayer. And it was a very neat experience because I had an experience the moment I did it. It, was, uh, it wasn't like I saw God or anything, but I, hey, my heart was put on the right path mm-hmm. and it I didn't understand it, but uh, right after the prayer, um, I sat there for about an hour and I didn't say anything, which was which was a rare thing because I talked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just I had a really deep peace, and a lot of the things that I was glued to in my life, I didn't feel connected to or obligated to be stuck with, mm-hmm. and that was a real. So I was sitting there for about an hour and. My aunt and my uncle, they just, after about 30 minutes of not talking, they just started looking at me. I just sort of realized I I wasn't really saying anything because I guess I was um, reevaluating, recapping, you know, a lot of the things that went on in my life. But it was very interesting because after that, I was wanting to sell my game systems. And Mm -hmm. before I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, 
I was that was my god was video games. I mean, yeah. if anybody touched my video games, that was like one thing you did not want to do because <laughs> that would really upset me. Yeah. Um, you know, throughout my life growing up, I, I was never you know on the uh, well off side of the society. I grew mm-hmm. up in a lot of poverty, so you know, games was <clears throat> was not really a uh, sign of being well off. It's just something that I've always just desired that I couldn't have. So when I finally got them. I was just so glued to them and catching up to, you know, with what my friends were doing and what they were playing. And uh, it, it just slowly consumed me in that way because I felt that I had to catch up to my friends to understand what they were understanding. Because mm. as, a, as a young kid, that's the only thing we understood at that age. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, when I, when I finally accepted Jesus Christ, it just broke that chain that, I, that it had on me. And through... Uh, the process of, you know, experiencing other things in life uh, slowly grew me to a point to understand that I did not need those things. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen the day I was saved. Yeah. But it happened um, in Twin Falls because after I was saved, after um, I went to Job Corps for a couple years and got out, <clears throat> I went to live with my mom in Wenatchee, Washington, and I had a... Uh, Xbox 360, mm-hmm. and I was stuck on that thing for a long time. <laughs> Some people had drugs, I had Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> a little uh, different, but same sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Any addiction is horrible and uh, can destroy and take a lot of time out of your life that is very crucial in you know, developing what you need to do and how to grow. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but sometimes we give ourselves the excuse, well, at least it's not a worse addiction like other things yeah. and that's the excuse that we use i feel better because this isn't as bad as drugs or or drinking or anything like that when it was just as bad you know yeah. in its own way mm-hmm. and yeah after uh after dealing with that and at the age of 23 i was in twin falls and i had these roommates which turned out to be some of the worst people i ever lived with <laughs> in my life i was in door to door sales and we all ended up moving down to um Twin Falls, mm-hmm. but before that, I lived in um, Tri Cities. So when I first left my mom, I went to Tri Cities, and I was on my own. The first thing I did with this job was went and got a super expensive apartment because I thought that's what I needed, and I wanted a really cool car. So I first thing, one of the first things I did, I spent four thousand dollars on a what's called a poor man's Porsche. It was a nine forty four uh, Porsche. It was it was a it was a decent looking rig. There's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. It was a manual, which I didn't know how to drive, so I, I kind of <laughs> learned how to destroy a Porsche really fast. Yeah. And uh, I thought, you know, imagery was everything. So, but it turns out that's one thing that'll suck all the time out of your life. And mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty intense. So I get this car. I paid about $4,000 for it. It was a used vehicle. It's a, it was built in uh, 1985. And... So I get this car and I'm driving it around and my friends think it's cool and I think it's cool and I start to make decent money in my job in door-to-door sales, which is Kirby vacuum cleaners. Oh, yeah. And so I'm making decent money, but I'm also blowing that money just as fast. Mm. You know, I've never really developed an understanding of how to, you know, invest or spend any money. So I was the guy that was spending about $1,000 at Applebee's just to impress my friends, take them out to eat, you know, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. After that experience, finally, uh, the uh, sales team decides to move down to 
Tri-Cities because they want to try new areas. So we, I go down there and I get an apartment that's around 1500 a month for a uh, one room. It's really nice. I mean, there's a lot of uh, bells and whistles to the place. Like uh, there is a, um, there's a hot tub. I mean, you had your own barbecue, swimming pool, workout room, mini theater, and then into your apartment itself. I mean, your washer dryer, everything that you, anything that you need. But I didn't need any of those things. Yeah. I just spent it because I just thought, you know, that's where the next step is. And the relationship I had with my sister, it was kind of back and forth. She was struggling with kids and uh, trying to establish, you know, her life. And she's she's uh, she was on the educated side. She left us when she was around 15 years old. Hmm. I think 15 or 16 when she went to job for and she went and got her GED and uh, she uh, she's very educated so she just she was on that side of life of trying to build her education which mm-hmm. was a struggle at her age with her <clears throat> with her husband and three kids yeah but um so her and I were just kind of in this little race on who can get there first and it was very interesting because I was just in sales. I didn't have any education. I didn't have, I don't have a GED or hospital diploma or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm making twice as much as her and her husband are put together in door-to-door sales. Wow. But at the same time, um, I don't know how to invest anything. So I'm losing it just as fast as I'm making it. Mm-hmm. You know, I did really good after the first three months in the business. I was a, I was what's called a canvasser. Uh, my job is to get the salesman inside the door. And I worked so hard at um, this job because I got tired of my family looking at me like I was just a broken nobody because the relationships I've had with my dad, my sister, they weren't really good growing up. So I always wanted to find a way to impress them or show them that I wasn't worthless. And that was the way I went about it. I needed money. I needed something that was going to make me look good. So instead of all this money and all this time in the job, and my, my boss, he was always working. He's He'd probably take one day off in the month, and I'd always help him out, getting everybody in the houses. So after about three months, I was the number one canvasser in the Northwest region. Oh, wow. I'm getting people in the door. Mm-hmm. And the, the company, uh, they rewarded me. They took me to Vegas. They flew me to Orlando, Florida. And, you know, there's all this incentive, and there's these big rallies that you go to. It's kind of funny because it's like a church. It's like everybody worships the Kirby God, mm. you know, and that's that's a thing you'll hear a lot from salesmen is the Kirby God, you know, the and, and basically money is their God, mm. but they're just slapping a label on it. Yeah. Like, what can we get from this Kirby God? Oh, it's money, but um, you know, they can see, you can see how someone gets uh, caught up in iniquity. Uh, it's, it's almost like they start to rot inside. Yeah, and, when all you're reaching for is more money, more money, like, there's no end, there's no fill. Yeah, when you go up there, I mean, there's a lot of uh, supervisors in the business that amp everybody up, like a church, and there's even songs, Kirby songs, and one of them is, like, got that old Kirby spirit up in my head, ah! deep in my soul, down my feet, and you say that three times fast, and it just made, it, over the years, I never really thought about it, but, it's, you know, the more I grew with God, the more, you know, you know, he's opened my eyes to it. Like, you know, what spirits are you letting into your life? Yeah. But, uh, how are you, uh, how are you growing? What kind of soil are you growing in? Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, I started to think about those things, which it also opened my eyes up to understanding how God, you know, explains us. You know, he, he, he often refers to us as, like, plants. Mm-hmm. And he's a gardener. Yeah. You know, 
of like the parable of the sower. You know, some of the seeds that were tossed in rocky places, they sprouted up quickly and withered. And then he defines that. And so I look at my life like, what kind of soil am I in? You know, it says in Romans, he who abides in me will produce good fruit. And, you know, that's God saying, I'm the good soil. Mm-hmm. You know, be planted in Christ because if you do that, you're, you're going to produce good fruit. You're going to have proper soil for your roots to grow. And that's basically the only real way you're going to find true joy in life. Everything else is just bad soil that looks that looks good. Yeah. It's like you have one inch of good soil. That's Satan's trick. And underneath is just nothing but rocks. Hmm. You're not going to get a whole lot of growth out of that. No. But anyway, so we go to these sales rallies and they uh, they talk your head up. They, they pump your head full of ideas of how you can make more money. And it's all about yourself, self-imagery. Yeah. I mean, uh, everybody's looking the best they can. And uh, the first time I won my ever won a trip, I went to Vegas. And my boss bought me a thousand dollar suit, which made me feel like, well, I'm a valuable employee. You know, yeah. this guy is actually wanting me to stick around because I'm putting forth an effort. But over time, it really got to my head. Like it blew my head up. Like mm-hmm. I just became that person that thought I deserved. I deserved all of this and I deserved all that. And my boss didn't really want to fight because I was getting in, I'd always just get in locked doors. And over time, we, our, our relationship just went sour. Mm. Like, it, it was like we both hated each other and we knew it, but we still worked together. Mm. It went on for a couple of years. And he developed a lot of problems over time. Like uh, he got seriatic arthritis in his joints. And it's really hard for him to open his hands and stuff. And he had a. He uh, got, his doctor prescribed him uh, Oxycontin. Oh. And it got to a point where he was so addicted to it, he started to buy outside of his prescription illegally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, that that should have been a red flag to like, hey, maybe I should be working with this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're so caught up in it, you don't think about it. Exactly. The addiction that I developed towards iniquity was blinding, blinding me so bad that like I didn't realize what was going on. You know, I was. It's like the uh, the frog in the hot water effect. You know, you put him in there and you let the water slowly increase the temperature, mm-hmm. and then the frog doesn't realize until it's dead. Yeah. The same thing Satan does with us. It's very subtle. Mm-hmm. Satan doesn't come at you with a pitchfork and just carry it back to Jesus because that would, you know, a being that's been around for thousands of years has already understood how to manipulate even angels. They have seen God face to face. So what chance do we stand against trying to fight off Satan without Jesus? Yeah. You know, it's one thing we should really think about and consider how much we need him in our life. And then, you know, there's a lot of times I've developed bitterness towards God over scenarios in my life. I give myself an excuse to hate him or accuse him for certain scenarios because I didn't understand what was going on. That's usually what we'll refer to when, when we have a problem, you know. Just, just our human nature in general. Mm-hmm. You know, it likes to go back to that comfort zone of it's not my fault. I want to find a reason to blame somebody else. Because as long as I'm the victim, I'm not the enemy. That's what the flesh will try to do. Yeah. And so after dealing with all that, um, realizing all these things, and I look back at my, at my life and how it really wasn't that good growing up. But at the same time, God was showing me that he, he took that and, and he made something good out of it. Because now I have an understanding from it that could help others. Mm. You know? yeah. And I think that's one thing that's really crucial for a Christian is, you know, a lot of times we think it's a hard time, but God's actually growing us. 
because he'll apply pressure to a weak point and it may be very hard to get through that weak point mm -hmm. to you know develop personality or whatever you're struggling with and uh finally grow yourself to a point to uh, once you understand it and move on few other people that are in need we can actually help them with that mm -hmm. i think that's really important to realize because like often we'll go through trials or hard things and like we'll question you know, we'll ask on you like why did i have to go through like all this hard things in my life like all this idolatry or all this greed but like coming out the other side you can testify so much better to those in it and then you can glorify you know like you know god like shouldn't have been in this sin but thank you that i had to go through this experience because now i know that you know money will never be an issue or i've like seen the full extent of it and then you can really speak to others in it yeah and uh, i think when god one thing god likes to help us with is uh when we're helping somebody else we have a really good understanding of what we're helping them with. Mm. A lot of people want to be helpful and they have the intention to do good for others. Yeah. But there's um, a lot of things I've experienced is, uh, even with myself, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not saying God's developed me into this perfect person that's not going to mess up because I've experienced certain things that, yeah. you know, oh, I, I'm not going to trip on anymore. But yeah, he'll, he'll sharpen our understanding. And that's, that's one thing that is a gift. Like I was talking about earlier, I mean, there's a lot of uh, scenarios I went through that were really hard. And, and throughout time, I developed bitterness and anger towards God. And then later on, he was showing me that, you know, this isn't a permanent thing. Times don't come to stay, they come to pass. Because mm -hmm. you know, God, God can take care of me if you put it in his hands. So you were bitter about God, about, like, what per se? This is everything I dealt with growing up. Mm -hmm. um, I started to look at the negativity because I was, after... Working in Kirby for about six years, mm -hmm. when I finally left, life didn't really improve. I mean, I had the experience, mm -hmm. but I should say, like, financially, I was, I mean, I was in debt. I was really just stuck in the mind, in the mindset of iniquity. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm trying to work minimum wage jobs to try to get back to where I was because mm -hmm. I didn't want to deal with the strain of door-to-door -door sales anymore. You know, I mean, I've, I've developed a lot of stress and made some enemies over the years working Kirby and going back to the the house like that I was talking about earlier with the roommates mm -hmm. um so I moved we moved to Twin Falls and we get this house to rent out because let me back up we, we left Tri-Cities I was at Tri- I, I worked in Tri-Cities for about a year mm -hmm. and I I really got tired of paying 1500 a month for this apartment so yeah. later on we come up with a plan and what the next move is, and we end up going down to Twin Falls, you know, and so we get down there, and I've got about 1100 bucks in my pocket, and the other guys have maybe a couple hundred bucks, and my plan is I'm going to get, I'm going to get my own place, because that's going to work the best for me, I don't, I won't have to worry about all the little things that would bug me without a roommate, yeah, and the other guys that I work with, they talk me into getting a house with them, so, you know, one of their one of the reasons was like, we went to waste gas, we wanted to meet up and this and that, you know. But one of the guys I worked with, his name was Devin Brown. And uh, he started with us back in Wenatchee when I was doing our sales. And Mike Danzi was our boss and he hired him on as a as a dealer. So I got him in the house and he would sell the vacuum cleaners. Mm -hmm. And over time, I, I used to, I would sell them too. But this guy, he had a really rotten personality. <laughs> I'm not trying to be judgmental. As if I wasn't, but I dealt with some very hardcore situations, and 
and some deep understandings as to see like what is not a Christian, you know, and mm-hmm. how selfless, selfish you can be, and careless you can be toward others when you believe that you, you know, you're it, you're your own God, you're 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 the end line for what you have to work towards, you know, and this guy he did a lot of wrong things. I mean, my boss told me the story about how a guy used to work with them and they ended up leaving and him and his friends uh, called him up and threatened to break everything inside of his house unless they gave him some vacuum cleaners. So he gave him some vacuum cleaners. Well, I didn't know it was the Stebbing guy, but he never said it because he didn't want, you know, any trouble on the van with yeah. people and opinions. And I found out later on that it's this guy. And uh, he's, he was, he's a really heavyset guy. He's probably like 300 or something pounds, but he had a lot of... He had a lot of self-image issues, pride issues, and I mean, he was honest about a couple of things about how he's vindictive and deceitful. And in the back of my head, the whole time I'm around this guy, it was it was always like there was like this voice screaming, "Get away from this guy! What are you doing with this person? What, what are you doing here? You know, you don't need to be doing this." Mm-hmm. So here I am, Twin Falls. I'm now roommate with this guy, and he's the one that talks to me too. Stay with him. Yeah. And uh, so I'm I'm in this house and. You know, first couple of days are okay. We're going out. We're selling machines, and I, I've got this gut feeling like you know, there's going to be some point. This is not going to end well, and I'm, I'm not taking action because my mind's focused on money. You know, yeah. That's another thing too about how being focused on what you want can harm you because it'll blind you from what you need to take care of. But you're so caught up in what you want that you're not willing to do it. And but you'll learn eventually. It'll come up and it'll show its ugly face, and that's when you'll realize what you did. Yeah. You know? But. Uh, so, one morning, we're supposed to get up and leave at 6 o'clock in the morning to go to Kirby's. But the night before, we got really drunk. And the whole time, I'm sitting here thinking, how are we going to get up early with hangovers? And that morning, I wake up to a basketball being bounced off the back of my head by this guy, um, Devin. And I get up, I'm kind of confused, like, what's your deal? And... uh he gets really mad and starts screaming at me about, uh, you shouldn't have to wake me up and all this and that. So I got up earlier at six, got in the shower, got my clothes on, went back and laid down. He got up around eight and that's when he threw his tantrum. Mm-hmm. So he didn't even wake up the time he said he wanted to. And I remember I had this gun next to my bed. I didn't have any intention to use it, but he knew I had a gun. And I think that's what kind of drew the line for him to proceed to be more aggressive. So he went back upstairs and like I said, I, I wasn't going to go grab a user or anything, but mm-hmm. sort of thinking, what am I doing with this person? I'm pretty insane. Yeah. And uh, over over time, we had, uh, it was Devin, his cousin, and this kid named Andre living with us. And none of them believed in the Lord. And they were just, I mean, I'm not, not going to keep pointing like, oh, they were awful. Because we're all human. Mm-hmm. Now I have my problems too. But it was not the environment for a Christian. It was yeah. a very bad, very bad place. Very bad soil. And, uh, you know, I, I just kept finding myself building bitterness and anger, becoming more vengeful. Well, I wanted these guys gone. I just wanted them out of my life. Well, eventually they, they, uh, they go back to Washington and they say they're going, they're going to be gone for a couple of days and they'll be back. Mm-hmm. And I'm stuck in this house. We'll pay, we pay like 750 bucks a month splitting rent. And I'm living in the basement and these guys end up never coming back. And I'm stuck with bills because when we move in, they, the the Devin, he's trying to get all the uh, utilities in our names, you know, which is kind of suspicious because Devin goes to the Philippines and he's trying to 
find a wife in the Philippines. And this one girl he's talking to ended up having an argument with him. Mm-hmm. Which is why he woke me up that one day very... Aggressively. Very aggressively, yes, because he took his anger out of me because his relationship was not going well with the woman. Mm. And, you know, if you understand his character, you can understand why he has a hard time with finding women. Which also developed a bitterness in his life. But, um... So anyway, these guys leave, and I'm stuck in this house for a couple months by myself, middle of winter. The, the heat gets shut off. So the only thing I have is a sleeping bag. Yeah. Now, the... Boss that I was working with, Mike Danzi, when we moved uh, before we even got to um, Twin Falls, we kind of separated in our relationship after four years of working together. And uh, I said, no, that was, uh, that was about two years after working with, with each other. And uh, that started when I went to Hamilton, Montana to visit my dad. And my relationship with my dad didn't go as well because he also, uh, my dad is very glued to money. I mean, he is, that's like, that's his God. He says he believes in the Bible, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that don't prove his his belief, like the fruits. It does not produce the fruits. Mm-hmm. So what happened there was I I, I, I go to uh, Hamilton, Montana to visit my dad before I moved to Twin Falls, Idaho. And we're hanging out, we're having fun, and, and I brought about 1300 bucks with me. And he's, uh, he's, he's, he's really excited at first. Um like how well I'm doing at my job, which is exciting for me. Yeah. So we're hanging out, you know, and, you know, we're going to the bars and hanging out. I'm like, yeah, I never really hung out with my dad at a bar before. You know, I never really hung out with him at all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is a new experience for me. Well, you know, I, I help him out in certain areas. Like I give him 250 bucks for gas to go to Elk City to work on his house. And I gave him what, $200 for uh, going to yard sales and just buying stuff. And I even paid him rent while I was visiting him. Visiting him, he, I had to pay three hundred and fifteen dollars for rent while I was there. Wow! <laughs> you know I was visiting. Uh. So after all that happens, one night I come home from the bar, and this it's the first time I went out by myself to go to the bar because you know when I'm around him, he likes to have control of the scenario and where I'm going. And, but I'm, I'm 23 years old and I'm kind of branching off in the mentality of I can take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't doing that, but I come back from the bar one night and I had I had a couple beers and. My dad was inside, and dad made dinner. Uh, I told him I'd already eaten and stuff, and he sits down. He's really quiet. Just out of curiosity, I asked him what's going on. Is there, is there anything wrong? And the first words out of his mouth was, I was becoming a burden. So I was very confused, and, you know, before all that, I, I was with my dad for about a year trying to do homeschooling, and he was spending a lot of money he got from his new girlfriend. Her name's Sharon. He's married to her now, but she had about $500,000 in life insurance. And she moved up from Pennsylvania. And her husband died and her daughter died. That's how she got the life insurance. Oh. My dad was blowing through that money. And, I mean, he spent a lot of money at the bar. Mm. And he'd buy, he'd buy new trucks, lots of stuff. When I was 15, I went back there. And they were going to try to homeschool me. Which didn't work because he was spending every day at the bar. So mm-hmm. he, he, the teacher that he hired, he eventually fired him later on. Because he just got tired of paying for a teacher. It was very hard for me to focus on schooling because I just had a hard time in general, mm-hmm. which made it matter. And so when it came time to ask who I wanted to stay with, him or my mom, I chose my mom. And then he basically cut me out of his life at that point. So I skipped forward back to Hamilton when I go, go to visit and I'm leaving the house. I said, okay. So he called me a burden. So I got up and I went to my room to go pack my bags. And Sharon comes in there, the woman he's now married to, um, started screaming at me saying, I 
I'm doing the same thing I did when I was 15 when I left, and uh, and it's one one thing that got on my nerves. Mm-hmm. Like, oh wow, okay. So when I left the house, uh, I got really mad. I slammed the door. My dad. We exchanged words after that. And this is the first time I ever stood up to my dad. Mm-hmm. Now he he was a very he was a person. I mean he he beat my mom a lot of things. He was not a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the very first time I ever stood up to him. And he called me uh, right after we exchanged words. I don't want to say them on your podcast because they're not really <laughs> glorifying God. Glorifying God. He called me. The last thing he said to me was that I'm a worthless son, and he shut the door and he, and he went back inside. And then I was I was walking down the street. Of course, I left the house. So as I was leaving the house, though, I was leaving and being kicked out at the same time. No. Nah. Uh, his wife was telling me never to come back. You know, I was doing the same thing I did when I was 15 years old when I had left him. And there was a reason why, you know, mm-hmm. you know, an alcoholic dad is not good at homeschooling. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm out of the house and um, I'm, I go back to the bar and I end up sitting with another guy uh, who decided to help me out until my boss came and got me. After all that, I start working with Mike again and our relationship just doesn't get better. And then we eventually part ways and twin falls. And that's when I start working with Devin. And that's why I'm living at this house. Mm-hmm. So I'm stuck at this house and... All I have is a sleeping bag to keep me warm at night. And it does a good job. I'm not cold. You know, I got to a part where it was like 10 degrees in my room. <laughs> it's like ah. cold. I remember I was laying there mm-hmm. and I had some of the weirdest things happen. I mean, there was a lot of anger in me, a lot of paranoia. And what I'm about to explain to you is something that did happen. It's very true. And, you know, as Christians, we do understand that there are angels and there are demons and they are real and they can affect us, you know, with what actions they take. There's only, you know, so much God will allow them to do. So I had a lot of bitterness built up towards uh, Devin. And I really hated this guy because he stoked my pride. Um, a lot of times, you know, a lot of times he wanted to fight me. And I was too afraid to, you know, at the time I'm not a confrontational person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a lot of pride myself, you know. And whenever those two personalities clash, it builds a lot of bitterness and um, regret with even being around the person. There's just so many. It's very hard to let go. It's like when when you deal with those situations, it's like a stain. It's really hard just to forget about it because it's it's a memory that you can it always pops into your head. So I'm laying there at night and I I have these paranoid thoughts like man, what if there's like a demon in right now? What if, you know I had fear in me. I was afraid if someone's gonna pop up. But mm-hmm. I remember in my room. Off to the left side of me, I had these three Kirby boxes stacked up. And it was really dark in my room. And if I focus, I could see the boxes, but they're just pitch black. Everything was pitch black, but I could see, like, you know, just the outline of everything. Yeah. And well, I, I went to wake up in the morning, and I was my face was looking towards the boxes. And right when I opened my eyes, I saw Devin's face in those boxes looking at me. Mm. And it really freaked me out. Like, I threw the covers over my head, and I was awake when I saw this. Yeah. It wasn't in my dream. And, uh, and it was a really hard gripping fear. Like, uh, I, I can, uh, I, I've been attacked by dogs before in door to door sales. Yeah. When you get attacked by big dogs, it's pretty scary. Well, there's nothing compared to this. It was, a, it was, it was terrifying because it feels like a life or death situation. Mm. Someone's in there to kill you. That's what it feels like. So I was stuck under my covers, uh, for about 30 minutes and I did not want to get out of bed, but I had to because I didn't go to work. So eventually, I finally worked my way of getting out of the covers, go upstairs. The only thing I had in the house that would heat me up was the shower because it had a pilot light. Mm. 
So I always had hot water, <laughs> which was a blessing. Yes. And um, all the time I spent in this house, I uh, I had to call. I ended up having to call up Mike Danzi, my previous boss, and like begging him for like to work with him again because I literally had nothing, nowhere to go, and the lack of understanding of you know if there was anyone who could help me out, you know. So I was I'm, I'm on my own. My mom, she was too busy doing her thing. She was addicted to drugs for a while, so she never had hardly any money to help out and uh my dad he was done with me so i was by myself so that's when i started to develop bitterness towards god like yeah i've made some mistakes in my life but i was i was trying to understand like why is this happening and so i ended up having to work with mike again and i'm stuck in this house i get up i'd get up at like five o'clock in the morning we'd build silk vacuum cleaners until like 10 o'clock at night come on past that repeat you know mm-hmm. and uh so this went on for a couple months, and eventually I met a friend, and I ended up rooming with him, which was a lot better because there was heat in the house. <laughs> Yay! Heat! Yeah. But this friend that I found, like, um, I ended up moving in with them, and there was no, they didn't have any available rooms, so I stayed in my friend's room, and he had his bed, so I slept in between a wall and his bed on the floor. That's where I was for the next couple months. And uh, when I worked with Mike, I saved up enough money to get a car about a Chevy Malibu. But, um, yeah, over the years, living in the house, there was a lot of weird things that happened. I even had a spider crawl across my face, and it was freaky. <laughs> There's a lot of scary movies that have that in it, and that actually happened to me. And I was, I was thinking, man, what's going on here? And, uh, yeah, there was a, a lot of confusing moments that uh, really stoked bitterness inside of me and anger towards God. But looking back on it now, it's like the story of um, Joseph, mm-hmm. you know, his brother sold him into slavery. He was in prison for 13 years for something he didn't do. Yeah. And he eventually became second in command of Egypt. All right. So all that bad that happened to him, God had a plan for it. Yeah. That's that's one thing that God has shown me in today's times is that even though there's hard situations in your life, God has a plan for it. And it's not always going to be bad. For our whole life can be miserable if we, if we keep turning from God. But eventually you get to heaven for eternity and that our life is going to look like the blink of an eye. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no reason to hold on to the bitterness that we have because there's a lot of good in the future that we can obtain through Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, as back and forth as that information was, <laughs> that's what it led to. Yeah, it, was, it was very interesting uh, dealing with those experiences. It's like later on after I move out of that house, I'm, I'm, pray, I'm praying to God. I'm asking for him to send somebody that could show me the truth, show me the word. Um, I was really tired of just following my own way. You know, I was. I eventually got to a point where I was. I found I got my own place. I was renting my own home, and I was working with Mike, and things were going okay. Mm-hmm. And but I'm still not very efficient with my money. I have enough to pay rent, but I'd throw fifteen hundred bucks in a week going out to eat. Ugh. It was. I'd get fifteen hundred bucks in a week, and that money was gone by the time next. The next pitch I came around, which was next week. Yeah. But, so I'm praying to God. I'm asking him to send me somebody. And uh, this guy moves next door to me. He's a pastor. He came all the way from Florida. Wow. Him and his family, wife and uh, three daughters. Name was Hilario Perez. And uh, we uh, slowly got to know each other because he, he loved working out. He had a nice gym set in his home. And, you know, I never really worked out a day in my life. And he... Uh, the first time I met him, he was pushing 
this machine around in his driveway. It's called a prowler. Mm-hmm. It's these two steel rods, and you put weights on them, and you grab them, and you push them around. They have, like, these little skid plates on the bottom. Yeah. Because it works out your legs. And uh, so I run into him for the first time. Well, that wasn't the first time. The first time I met him, I had bought a dog, and remember, in his yard, he had these two big Rottweilers. Mm-hmm. And I just got this new little, little, uh, it was, it was like a blue healer border collie mix. And, uh, I brought it home and the brawlers were barking at it, just scaring it. So I couldn't really keep it outside. And I remember looking at him like, I said, Hey, how's it going? And he didn't respond. I was like, Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking, man, hope this, uh, hope I can get along with my neighbor. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up running, running into him later on. And it turns out he's a, he's a, he's a preacher. You know, he, he graduated a very prestigious seminary school down in Florida, mm-hmm. and he learned the Greek and Hebrew languages. And he was so educated on the Bible, he could he could recite any verse verbatim uh, to you, because that's how developed he was in it. Every day mm-hmm. he read his Bible, every day he studied it. Mm-hmm. He taught me there's a difference between reading something and studying something. It's the same thing with our walk with Christ. Yeah. Are we are we just trying to walk until God does something for us? Or are we actually pursuing him? Mm. You know, is, are we developing a relationship? Or are we just wanting to have him in our in our presence for comfort? I like you know? a blessing. Yeah. And I look at that like, you know, how am I developing my, my relationship with my friends? Mm-hmm. I believe God could work through others to give us an understanding on how to develop a relationship with him. Because it's like life experiences help you understand verses in the Bible. There's a lot of things you can read. And a lot of things you can tell people, but unless you truly understand them, are you telling them the right thing? Mm. You know, like, I thought about stuff like a 10-year-old can tell you not to steal, not to kill. But <laughs> that 10-year-old doesn't have a lot of experience with those areas. I mean, maybe theft, like smaller things. And most kids, you know, they, they don't have a broader understanding of life experience in general. Which is something that helps glue our understanding to the verses mm-hmm. in the Word. So I'm back in Twin Falls, and, and uh, Hilario gets me to go to church, and he actually ends up baptizing me. It was pretty neat. He mm-hmm. was a Baptist preacher, but uh, I mean, he was one of those one of those preachers you could sit down and talk with. He wasn't judgmental. He never tried to say like twist the words to his way. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I really made a friend that actually had stability in his life and a family. Most of my friends were just younger kids growing up. They didn't know what they were doing with their life. Yeah. So that was a new experience for me, developing a relationship with somebody that had a better handle on things and someone that would confront me on my own problems and my own pride, Mm -hmm. you know. So it was really healing to have somebody that was actually caring about my situation. Yeah. Which was another experience for me. I mean, my mom always loved me, but... I never, I never questioned that, but she had a lot of problems herself that she never developed, you know, so mm-hmm. she was really caught up in her own desires. My dad, on the other hand, he, he's the same way, but he really didn't have any care for us because, like, he never called. He's never really been concerned about my life in any way. So over the years, I find myself developing relationships with people, trying to find that love that I never had as a kid from my dad, which can be a burden at times because you're trying to you're trying to get too much out of your friends yeah <laughs> than what a friend should be but i found some very helpful friends over the years and me and Hilario got along for a while and we had this 
one friend that was with us named Tracy Vance, a young kid, he's probably, he was 19. At that time, I was, I was 24 years old, and we were both going to Hilario's gym, working out, and just get along, and remember, Tracy had this personality, he was in a gang, and he had this, he always had this mentality of wanting to be the mob boss, I should say, like a gang member that wants to control everything, and he wants to be the guy that's feared, so no one will mess with him, you know, and uh, that was his mentality. He always bragged about how his dad is a hitman, and I was like, well, maybe you shouldn't say those things yeah. <laughs> to people. It was a relationship that I thought was godly, mm-hmm. because in my in my mentality, I'm thinking, I have to forgive this guy, I have to be kind to him, which, which is true. Mm-hmm. But I started disregarding like the fruits that he was showing, which were affecting me, because I developed a mentality of, well, my walk with God is becoming so well that, like, how could I become corrupted? Mm. How could I, how could I change, or, or how could anything affect me when he's on my side? Yeah. But at the same time, you know, we have to be vigilant of our own actions because we're held accountable for what we do too. Mm-hmm. But this relationship, it really went, went it, it went south with this kid. I was working with, uh, we were both working with Mike, and Mike really, uh, him and I were not on a in good terms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our relationship was just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And uh, that eventually broke up and I helped my friend Hilario move to Florida and I spent money while I was down there to have fun. And when I came back, uh, Mike had fired me without telling me. So I didn't have a job when I came back. Oh. Which really made me upset. And uh, well, it turns out him and Tracy were planning to work with each other. And Mike needed someone to replace me because he didn't have anyone that wanted to work with him. So once he found that, he got rid of me. Now, I wasn't a saint. You know, I mm-hmm. had my problems. And there's probably some good reasons to, to fire me. But the way it went down was just not good Not good for me. And it just put me in a really tight spot. So I ended up having to go to Washington to work with their other distributors. And it's just a very, very, very stressful situation. Yeah. Like I said, here I am moving again. <laughs> <laughs> again. I uh I find myself like when I when I left Kirby I'm I'm trying to find other jobs and it doesn't go like I thought it would go and so the whole time I'm with Kirby, uh, I'm too afraid to leave this job because I like the education and understanding on how to find another job. And they develop a belief in your head that there's there's no greener pastures. Mm-hmm. Most money you're ever gonna make is in door to door sales. And as young as I was when I first started, I I started believing that. So when I left Kirby, I I had the my head remember my head's puffed up now. Yeah. I'm thinking, oh I deserve these things and so when I go work a job it's very hard for me to hold down a job because I'm thinking I should be getting paid more than what I'm doing at these jobs, you know. And I start to think, Well, I deserve more money or you know, I need to no, I've got to make my way because my spending habits were horrible. The little money that I would make at a, at a minimum wage job, it would just crush me because I'd get a check that was a fraction of what I used to get, you know? And what I used to get, I would blow through it so quick, and then when I started getting less amounts of money, I was just like, how can I live off this? Because I didn't understand how to support myself off less money. Yeah. And that was a that was a struggle to get through. But... You know, every every scenario I went through in my life where I had a tough situation, God always helped me out. There was always somebody there to help me. When I left Kirby, I found a lady, her name's Anne, and I knew her growing up as, as a child. And uh, after about 20 years, 
I I end up meeting her again, <clears throat> and she lets me stay with her. And her son that I knew I grew up with, he ended up going to prison, so I had his room. And it's kind of funny how everything worked out. <laughs> like I had, always had a place to stay, you know. She wasn't she wasn't a hardcore roommate, and I'm over here playing butterfingers with every job, <laughs> just trying to hold these jobs down. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the last job I worked for when I was in Washington was at Subway, and I was just working at Subway, and I was like, man, what am I doing? I'm just going job to job. I can't hold anything down, and I finally got tired of it. And I was like, you know, I need to really start pursuing God, and. I, I was telling God, like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I think I need to leave my situation. Because the whole time I was working in Kirby, I always had this voice in my head saying, why don't you go to Kamiai? And I kept thinking to myself, well, there's nothing in Kamiai. Mm-hmm. How am I going to prosper in Kamiai? <laughs> Kamiai. There's no jobs in Kamiai. Mm, not entirely so, wrong there. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking about this while I'm in Washington. I'm like, I'm really sick and tired of the situation I'm in because... My old friend that I knew that was in prison got out of prison, and he's still in the gang life, and that's just something that really grinds against me because none of them believe in God. They're anti-God, and here I am again in bad soil. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. So I eventually, I go I go to Kamiai. I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm going uh, to put my life in God's hands and see what he can do, and I'm going to go to Kamiai. You know, if God's omnipotent, I guess he can make it work. So I go to Kamiai, and I'm living with my mom again. And I'm 28 years old, and I'm trying to find a job and stabilize while I'm here. You know, like, man, I really need to find something. I gotta, I gotta get my life together. So pretty much the only thing that's over here is construction. I'm thinking, you know, I can, I can learn a lot in construction. There's a lot I can develop here. Mm-hmm. So I'm here. I am again having a hard time holding down a job, going job to job to job to job to job, and um, you know, God's gonna grow us over time. And I think that's the thing. Like, it's a relationship. It takes time. Like, when you were 17, that's when you first, like, came to really know God. But then, like, life and busyness and then, like, after all of those horrible experiences, you know, and then finally having a neighbor that's a pastor, like, you start to come back to the God and back to God and, like, you know, like, figure out who he is again and deal with that bitterness. But then you're, like, you're still stuck and, like, maybe not a great environment and so then, you know, God calls you, go to Kamei. So you go to Kamei and like through those processes and through those experiences, we grow. And like, that's the thing, like the walk with God isn't like, ah, oh, center to perfection in one step. It's like a plant growing, like a seedling, like when it's like a week old and it's just got that one little stalk, that one little leaf, it's perfect as a seedling, but it needs to continue to grow and be perfect in every stage of its Christianity. But it needs to continue to grow. And it has to be watered. Mm-hmm. That's a key ingredient right there. Yeah, water. The, the water is the action that we take to help people in their walk with Christ. Mm-hmm. It's like Paul says, um, I don't remember the other person, but Paul's talking about so-and-so can, can plant and so-and-so can water, but God gives the increase. Ah. Uh-huh. I think Paul plants, Apollo waters, but God gives the increase. God gives the increase. Like I was saying earlier, yeah, you know, God refers to us like plants. You know, we're not plants, but He's talk is this it's an, an analogy. analogy, yeah, that gets us to understand that, yeah, things don't happen overnight <laughs> or instantaneously because we have to grow into certain things. We need to develop roots. Mm-hmm. And where are we? Where are our roots? Where are they growing? Are they growing in Jesus? Or are they growing in the sand? Because mm. Jesus says, like, you know, He is the only way. There's no one gets to the Father except for Him. And so you grow your roots in Jesus, you're growing, you're growing good soil that can't be moved. See, that's the analogy. The security is in Christ. 
and you develop a lot of securities with as your roots grow and progress because you get understandings like no matter what anybody on this planet thinks, God is taking care of you. God is watching your steps, watching your ways. Mm-hmm. Um, look at all the people who follow him. I mean, they didn't live a, a life of luxury or health, wealth, and prosperity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no. there, were, there were good things that happened, but there were sacrifices that had to be made because God, when God grows you, he, he grows us like a father to a son. Mm-hmm. So if you have kids, or let's say some kid in your youth group asks you for a lot of money and a gun, because he wants to know how to shoot, he just likes guns, and he says money is going to help him, which it'll buy him food. Yeah. But does he know how to use it? Or are you going to give it to him? Um, you know, a gun can be a tool to do good things or bad things. Yeah. But if you give these materials to somebody who does not know how to use them, there's going to be a lot of dangers that follow. And God's not going to do that to us. He's not going to put us in harm's way when we're following him. Mm-hmm. So that may look like a rough point. Like, why don't I have these things? Why am I not there yet? Like, uh, there's an inmate that I talk with up at the jail. Mm-hmm. And when I take him out on the wreck, we talk about the word. And one thing God put on my heart to say to him was, you know, consider this situation. Like, I told him the story of Joseph, you know, yeah. going to prison and all that. You know, you, you have a, a wife on the outside, and she's getting involved with the church now. She's in a better situation, which gives you comfort. But you really want out of here because you just want to see her. You want to, you want to hurry this along. But keep in mind, God, when God has a plan for you, you have to have patience in that plan because it takes time to grow. So maybe if you consider the fact that you are in here because God is protecting you from yourself because you're weak against certain things, God does not want you falling back on those things. So he's going to build you. He's going to grow you. And it's, it'll sting. We do, if we don't understand what's going on, it can look very scary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like falling back with your eyes closed, believing there's somebody there. Yeah. Rather than looking and seeing that there's somebody and know they're going to get you, right? Mm-hmm. Well, as you develop your faith and understand what Christ, you'll know that he will catch you. And that's what God's getting us to do. That's why we'll go through the muck sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll let us get close to the fire, but he won't let us burn. Yeah. Um, just to give us an understanding of how we need to lean on him yeah. for trust and understanding. And you can see that in your own life because, like, um, you were blessed in selling, like, those Kirby vacuum cleaners because, like, you eventually had to see that, like, all of that money and all of that image that you were projecting wasn't going to get you anywhere. That, like, it wasn't going to reach that fulfillment because sometimes God has to show us, like, the idols of our hearts, even if we have them, like, they're not going to fulfill us. And we need to, like, see that and unfortunately sometimes it takes longer for some of us to learn it than others oh yeah but like sometimes you have to walk through those rough valleys because you have to learn those lessons because god's trying to show you at every little baby step of the way but sometimes you have to walk all that way to see it yep that that is that is true it is a process there's a there's a couple things i've experienced in my life and uh i've always had this thought like why doesn't god ever speak to me or give me some information that can just really helped me out, you know. And, you know, our flesh always expects these big things. Mm-hmm. It's like we get so developed in watching movies over time, our subconscious thinks that we're the main character of our own life. So we naturally expect these events to happen to us. Like, yeah. you know, something special or something big. Like, we're going to part the Red Seas one day or something. But sometimes, you know, following God it could be something as simple as him telling you, pick up the trash. Why am I going to have you part the Red Seas when you can't even clean the dishes? Yeah. <laughs> you know, are you going to listen to me? Yeah, there's a lot, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting, things I've learned walking with Christ. And uh, it's like uh, developing a trust and understanding with him. And 
um, how he grows you. There was a time, and I was, I was asking God, I was asking him oddly, I was, I was kind of by myself, and I was asking, I was like, what does it take to become a Christian? What do you want me to do? Like, what am I not understanding about following Jesus Christ? And I was really genuine about my question, and all of a sudden I had an answer, and it popped right in my head. I didn't hear God audibly, but I heard him in my head. And the first thing that popped in my head was, uh, be like a child. Mm. But I'm thinking, oh, okay, yeah, whatever, you know, be like a child. But all of a sudden, the answers and the definitions of so what he meant started popping into my head. Things that I never thought of. And the first thing that came up into my head was not the actions of a child, but the virtues of a child. I'm thinking, what's that? And what are the virtues of a child? And then the next thing that popped into my head was, what does a child do the moment they're hurt? They cry for help. Who do they go to? Mom. Mom and dad. First thing, what does an adult do when they're hurt? <laughs> I got it. <laughs> now, we can get scripture verses and the doctor fixes us, you know, because sometimes we'll get an injury we can't fix. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing spiritually. Even the smallest wound spiritually, God has to take care of that. Because, you know, Satan can use a lot of tricks to manipulate us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, you know, if you don't stay in the word every day and, and use those basics, it's like you're not taking a shower every day spiritually. You start to stink after a while, <laughs> you know, spiritually. But I started really thinking about that, and it, it seems so basic. It was kind of funny because, like, I, like I was talking about before, it's amazing how how blind we will, we will become to, to some of those basic understandings mm-hmm. in our walk with Christ. We get an idea of how complex we need to be, or how advanced we need to be in our speech. And Paul even says, "I didn't come to you in fancy words or speech. Mm-hmm. I came to you in the power of the Spirit, in fear and trembling." And uh, he even says, "Knowledge just puffed up." I mean, a lot of people that know a lot about the word, but at the same time, they have an ego that comes with it and pride. Yeah. Because it's, they'll use the word to make themselves look intelligent, but they're not truly using it for uh, love. Yeah. Or Because knowledge growth. pops up, but love edifies. Yeah. And that's what we... And then that's what it's about. You can learn all day, but what are you doing it for? Mm-hmm. What is the end result? That's what we need to look at. When Paul says, search your own heart, what is our real desire? At the end of the day, what are we striving for? You know, it's like, let's say I find a church. Oh, I found a church. I really like this church. But am I going because I found a pretty girl in that church? <laughs> am I really going to that church for God? Is my flesh, am I going to this church because now my flesh is in a comfortable place hmm. and it's just natural for me to go because I found a desire that moves my flesh into going there? Hmm. And it's one of the things that we have to battle sometimes. Sometimes we go to a church um, where we hear the true word and sometimes we don't want to go there because... Maybe it's just all old people. I'm a young guy. <laughs> and, you know, those are certain things you have to consider. It's like, where is God in my life? Where does he want me to be? And, uh, you know, a lot of the times God's going to work on your weak points. Mm-hmm. We want to be this person. We have this image of ourselves being like this great person that people look up to. That's not what we should strive for. God's the one that we need to look up to. We're the messenger. We're the one at the point, like the way to God. Mm-hmm. But we're not God. And that's when I started to learn how to find a proper pastor is the one that will say the same thing. It's like, folks, I'm not up here for you to follow me. I'm just going to Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, you can seek the word out for yourself. God can work with you on that. And all I'm doing is spreading a message that God laid for me to spread. This isn't my message. This is God's message. And uh, yeah. so I just I just really consider those things after that message. And I, I'm thinking to myself, like, man, that was just so basic. <laughs> I'm over here thinking, like, I was too dumb to understand that one basic <laughs> But I was I was just blinded from it. I was just so mm-hmm. caught up in my problems as a woe is me, why does this happen to me that you can't see what God has before you because this is what the devil does. Here's an analogy. 
God has a plan for you. Mm-hmm. What happens when you're, let's say, you're raking a yard. Yeah. And it's like a couple hundred acres of leaves. You just rake it. What happens the moment you look up and you see all the work you have to do? <sighs> yeah. That's what Satan's trying to get you to do. He's trying to get you to look up. He's trying to get you to look at what what you have to accomplish. He's trying to get you to perceive everything at once, which mm-hmm. overloads us. Yeah. Rather than God's like, pick up the trash. We don't go, oh, I just got to pick up the trash put it in there. We're thinking, how many times do I have to do this? You know? Well, it only takes a second. <laughs> yeah. How much time do I have throughout my day to do everything? And uh, it, it leads to an understanding that I'm I'm dealing with right now, and it's for God showing me that when you're dealing with sin and you're trying to get a sin out of your life, which God can do, mm-hmm. it's not about just dropping the sin off and forgetting about it. You have to replace that with something because it says in the Bible, when that demon leaves, he's going to come back with seven worse than it. Yeah. And they're they're looking for vacancy. <laughs> they're gonna their 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 plan is not for you. There's nothing special in their life that they have for you. They're, they're like a, they're like a, a candy ball that has that that very thin glossy shine on the outside and that very limited sweetness. But inside is going to be some of the most sour experiences you'll ever deal with, with with no benefit. Yeah. You're not going to find a, a demon that's going to be like, well, it looks like you've had a rough enough time. I'm going to cut you some slack. That's not going to happen. <laughs> so. You know, we're, we're trying to follow Christ, and we're having problems with sins. And that's another thing I shared with the inmate, too, is like, you know, you had problems with what you here in the first place. And I'm thinking, and I'm reflecting myself at the same time, like, you know, like God's talking to me, like, so do you, Charlie, you've got these problems, too. And what are you going to do about it? Like, you, you see where it can put you. There's no limit to where evil can take you. If the eye is full of darkness, how great is that darkness? Mm-hmm. That's what God's saying. Yeah. He's not drawing a line like, eh, it's only this far. It's like, it's going to keep going. It's not going to stop. Yeah. So what point do we need to stop and turn around? As soon as possible. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what we have to do. We have a bad saying in our world that you know, once you hit rock bottom, then also the way all the only way you have left is to go up. But as my brother just said, you can pull out a pickaxe or you can pull out a drill and you can keep digging. Like just when you think, Oh, this is my lowest point, no, like Satan can drive you deeper. And, like, we need to use those moments where we think this is the lowest to reconnect with God and just, like, start that upward spiral. But, like, yeah, darkness and sin, like, it's worse than we think. And, like, ah, this was an awful thing. But, like, Satan can take you deeper if you don't turn to God. Yeah. It's kind of funny. We developed a saying in Kirby a while back. And uh, it's uh, the analogy was there's only one way to coast. It's once you stop trading, once you stop trying. Mm-hmm. And in the sense of iniquity, it's just a horrible thing. But when you think about it in the biblical perspective, once you stop, you're not just stopped. You're going back that because works. people will end up finding themselves back in the situation they dealt with years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I back in the same scenario? Yeah. Well, you went back. <laughs> you you back. You're restarting because you didn't get over the first thing God was trying to show you. So God's going to restart you. Let's try this again. And then you think about how many times you did it. Like, Man, God's got a lot of patience. <laughs> you know? Um. Yeah, but that's the point. Just that little growth all the time and, like, not forgetting that sin is bad and that it will drag you back. And, like, if you give it any foothold, it can take you down. Yep. Well, it's like, um, you know, Satan has a hook. What's the most lethal part of Satan's hook? Probably the sharp point. The tip, right? Yeah. It's the tiniest part and it's the initiator. Mm-hmm. It's what brings the rest of the pain, all the problems. And that's where, um, like, when I was talking last night about how people 
will have certain comfort in things that seem godly. Mm-hmm. Like when I was talking about country music, I've heard some of my friends say, well, country music is the closest thing to Christianity. It's a very dangerous mindset to have because if it's not glorifying God, but it seems like it is, it could be one of the furthest things from God. Because like I was explaining earlier, Satan's not going to run after you with a pitchfork and is a devil. Because if he does that, what's that do? That shows that Satan's real. So who else is real? God. God's real. Where do we need to run? So that's one thing that I'm pretty sure if I can understand, he's already understood. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, so, you know, there's a lot of things in life that seem godly, like, you know, God warns us. He says, you know, Satan can take on the form of an angel of light. And you're thinking, okay, well, we're dealing with a being that's been around for thousands of years. It's manipulated angels. So where do we, like, how do we defend ourselves against that? Well, we, we can't. We just go to God and he protects us from that. Mm-hmm. So that's where pride will come in saying, you can handle this. And that's one of the manipulations that the devil will use on us is that you're in control. Now, yeah. I can do the dishes. I, that's the, the control I have is, 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 is the decision I make if I'm going to follow God or not. That's the control God gave me. Mm-hmm. That is just the extent of my power in making a decision. <laughs> um, but the, the devil likes to fill your head with, you don't need God. That's his main goal. Yeah. It's like, look, you're doing all of this on your own, but who did it come from? Mm. He's, he's, he's blinding you from the other idea of, well, who gave me this? Who put me in this situation to allow me to even be able to use what I have right now? You know, th- there's, there's a lot of ways, a lot of different ideas of understanding through experiencing life and being able to relate that to the word as you're walking with Christ. Because you ever have those times where you're, when you're reading the Bible... You go over that same verse, but all of a sudden you find something new. It's the same verse you've seen so many times, but now it pertains to you because you understand it. Mm-hmm. So it grips you. It's deeper now. You have a root inside of it. and uh, It speaks to your experience, and so now you actually like it and can learn from it and grow. Yeah. Well, thank you, Charlie, for sharing. I really appreciate it. That was a lot of good stuff. As usual, I know no one's story before I record it, so it's always like a roller coaster of like, where did this person come from? Oh, you're from Missoula? I knew you were from Camii, <laughs> but interesting stuff. I really liked it. It's I think it's important because, like, especially me as a person, like, I have a tendency to get impatient. And I'm like, ah, God, let's, like, time schedule. We need to move it up. <laughs> but God's like, no. And, you know, like, plants take time to grow. Like, you just need to, like, be patient. And, like, the process will happen. Because, like, I think, like, if we go, if we went through, like, the fast growth as in the way we wanted to, we would probably just, like, be exhausted or, like, stunted in our faith. Like, we need that time to build that trust and build that relationship and read our Bibles and build that solid foundation and, like, slowly go up because he's building a solid house and it's on rock, like a rock foundation. But, like, if we grew, like, overnight, we'd be, like, this straw little house that would be shaking with any wave or breeze and we just don't see that, like, the process is important and going in that slow steady pace taking that time to grow is just as important as like the growth itself well thank you for sharing i really appreciate it and we i forgot to pray in the beginning so let's pray at the end and (laughs) so dear father in heaven thank you for charlie and for his story about how you slowly grow us and we're just like plants and we need to be in the good soil and in the places where you need us but Those rough patches can be where you teach us important things and can be good for our walk later in our life with you. And just thank you for this story. Help it to bless everybody and others and all of the listeners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for coming. And I kind of crashed and came a little early because I'm an early bird, but... Oh, no, that's okay. That's that's my fault. I know I should have... uh... 
prepared because we did discuss this the day before. I was just tired. <laughs> yeah, that happens. And Kylie, she tells jokes, and I'm like, no, that was that was. There was a mild bit of seriousness in there. <laughs> Don't watch my sarcasm. Yeah. Um, but thank you, and I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. And tune in next week. Bye. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, share, like, and review. Also, you can contact us at our Facebook page, that is God is Real, God is Good Podcast, or you can email us at God is Real, God is Good Podcast at gmail.com. Bye! Bye.